Hi again, everybody. Welcome to Radio MVP Sports Podcast, episode number 164 of the Sports Podcast. I am Tim Anthony, unable to join us this week. He was available early in the week. I wasn't. As the week went along, that reversed. And so uh, we were recording this one without Anthony. However, we have a special guest, uh, someone very familiar with the podcast, uh, James Dotson, who's making his annual trip out to Indianapolis for the 500. So we'll preview that and talk a little more about the 500 like we do each and every year here on the podcast. Looking forward to talking to James. Uh, Just a quick reminder, if you're a high school sports fan, check out lcsportsnet.com. You heard us talk about it many times. James is the mastermind behind that. And with the help of LCAP, we've done over 100 broadcasts this year. Many of them are archived on YouTube. Just search lcsportsnet.com or lcsportsnet and you'll find it. Uh, you can find us, as I mentioned, on the internet, lcsportsnet.com. And it's all there, too. So... Uh, you want to definitely check that out as we head towards the WPIL championships in baseball and softball uh, this week. So uh, definitely a lot to uh, pay attention to and enjoy because it's been a lot of fun and uh, it's been a great season. Over 100 broadcasts done. So a lot to talk about there. A uh, little story about Anthony and I. Uh, we recorded last week a great podcast, unfortunately. As I mentioned about time and opportunities, uh, I never had time to get it all put together and release it, and it kind of became dated. I didn't have a chance to release that one, so we have one in a can that will probably never see the light of day. I want to thank Anthony, though, for making the effort and uh, as we uh, move forward. So before we go any farther, I want to remind everybody that Liverpool is playing in the UEFA Championship League, this uh, championship game, this, uh, well, today, I was going to say this weekend, but today uh, at 3 p.m. It's Saturday when I'm recording this intro. Uh, they take on Real Madrid. You want to check that out on CBS. I'll be down at Westside Bowl on Mahoning Avenue in Youngstown, watching with the rest of the Rest Belt Reds as we get ready for uh, that game. It should be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. Going for trophy number three on the season. Won two domestic championships, or trophies, I should say, earlier this year. Came up one point shy on the quad as uh, the Premier League went to Man City. But what a what a great day that was uh, last week as uh, Liverpool was taken on the Wolves. And uh, just down the road a little bit, it was Ashton Villa taken on Man City. And Ashton Villa got out to that 2-0 lead uh, about 75 minutes into the contest. And then the next uh, 7 to 10 minutes, uh, Man City just went wild and scored three goals and hung on to our 3-2 win and secured the uh, Premier League championship by one point over Liverpool. But uh, what an amazing day watching that and all the the emotions that went with it. It was a uh, it was a really fun day down at Westside Bowl and uh, it's okay. Uh, like I said, they already won two trophies this year and they're going for number three. If they win today, they will be champions of Europe. So that's even more than just a domestic championship in the Premier League, right? Uh, as Liverpool goes for number seven. 
on this and uh, one in 2019. So should be a, uh, a great, great uh, night here coming up. So stay tuned for all that. We'll talk about more of that next week. But right now, let's get back to talking about the Indy 500 and James Dotson, who's headed out to Indianapolis for the 500. This is our annual Indy 500 preview right here on Radio MVP. It's now time for our annual Indy 500 update and predictions and everything going on with the Indy 500 with James Dotson, my good friend, uh, the leader of lcsportsnet.com, my partner in high school basketball, and uh, our Indy 500 expert. So, James, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's uh, it's nearly time to go back home again in Indiana. That means it's an absolutely uh, perfect time of year for me. Yeah, it, it really truly is. It's uh, Looking at the weather today, not looking at the forecast going forward, if you have a day like today, you'll have a wonderful uh, uh, Memorial Day weekend. Uh, we're hopeful for that. Uh, there's uh, some chance of uh, showers overnight and into the uh, final day of practice on Friday here. Um, but it looks like that rain's going to hold off long enough that they're going to get that final practice in. But then race day, beautiful. Uh, low 80s, partly cloudy. It, uh, you're not going to be able to ask for much more uh, of a perfect day. Now, some will say it's a little bit too hot. But, hey, as long as there's no rain, it's a perfect day in Indianapolis. Yeah, I totally agree with that because uh, many times – has uh, the weather played a factor in some of the outcomes or even in the track conditions? Let's talk about that. What about the track conditions if it's a 80-degree day? How does that affect the race? Well, you know what? They put a new traction compound onto the uh, track this year, and all the drivers have said that uh, the track just gets a little more slippery at a little bit of a lower temperature than, uh, than what it normally is. Normally, when you get to a track temperature of about 120 degrees, which means uh, if you have a sunny sky on about a 70-degree day or a cloudy sky on like an 80-degree day is when you're going to get a, uh, an ambient temperature that high. But now they're saying it's down as low as just a 100-degree uh, track temperature that the track starts to just get a lot more slippery, which means you got to be very uh, careful. You have to manage everything, and you can't get off the uh, off the uh, line. If you get off the line, uh, the primary line going around any one of the corners, you're going to lose a lot of momentum and end up falling back in the order. So you're going to see uh, if it does get warmer, I think you're going to have a lot of uh, a lot more chance of uh, of those accidents happening just with cars not being able to stay on the line. As soon as you get uh, off of that main groove. Then you've lost uh, you've lost a lot of that uh, grip that you have because you've gotten the marbles and everything. So uh, weather-wise, you know the, the the temperature doesn't matter too much. If it rains, obviously that changes a lot of things because well, you can't race in the rain on the oval. But um, w- with that in mind, I think you're just looking at the fact that you have higher temperatures could play a factor in terms of uh, car setup because you need to have uh, the uh, the maximum grip possible with these uh, with these Firestone tires, especially with the new compound again that they've put on the track. Let's uh, let's backtrack a little bit and just give us a little history here. I know how many years you've been going, but uh, let our listeners know uh, your your tradition of going to Indianapolis for the 500. Uh, my family first began this tradition. My dad was working uh, in Indianapolis, literally right across the street from the track. Um, and back in 1976, he and a co-worker, a good friend of his, just decided, you know what? We should actually check this out on race day. They would go during the uh, practice sessions during the month literally take their hour-long lunch break, take their lunch, walk across the street to go into the track and watch cars practice during their hour-long lunch break. That was just what you did 
uh, when you were in Indianapolis. So they went on race day back in 1976 for the first time, and they have been back every single year uh, ever since. So this is year number 47 for them. This will be year number 31 uh, for me in terms of races. And uh, I am 31 years old, so you can figure out that math right there. My, my first baseball job on Saturday after their practice to get out there for race day on Sunday, and then we'll be driving back early Monday morning to get back for their practice before the big game. So uh, there's a lot of, uh, of that kind of tradition that is just uh, – it just it's what indie means you, you we don't you do not miss the race if, if you can help it you are getting out there to the race because once you get out there and you've uh, gotten a, a taste of it and the smell of everything out there you, you'll never miss again there's no question let's talk about last year's race uh just give a little quick recap of what happened and uh, then we'll get into uh some of this year's drivers who's qualified uh, last year when they had this race, uh, that was the first major sporting event uh, that could uh, that was getting back to the normalcy. There was 135,000 fans there uh, for that race last year. And uh, in terms of any sporting event, that sounds like an astronomical number. In terms of Indy 500 attendance, that is a very tiny number. That was about 40% of, uh, of what their actual capacity could be. Um, in terms of being the race. So just that was uh, incredible to have at that point, that was the largest uh, single day gathering uh, of spectators for any event uh, since the pandemic happened. We're back to full force this year. So just to give a quick number there, um, they're expecting close to a sellout in terms of the reserve seating. That's 240,000 right there. Plus over a hundred thousand expected in the infield. You're talking about well over a quarter million, probably close to 350,000 people who will be in attendance for this race this year. But looking back to last year, you got to saw history. Those 135,000 that were able to make it back home again to Indiana, they saw history as uh, then number four. Elio Castroneves becoming the fourth different driver in history in the 110-year history of this race uh, to be able to win four Indy 500s. And just what a popular victory uh, that was. Uh, Spider-Man, as he's known by, because his uh, tradition uh, starting through the carding days, when he would win, he would climb the fence to, with, him, with his team uh, to celebrate. Well, that just became something he was synonymous with uh, throughout his entire career. He goes, he wins. You all know what's coming. He stops right there at the start-finish line, right at the yard of bricks, goes and climbs the fence. But what wasn't expected was the reaction from the fans. They climbed the fence with him. You didn't see a lot of it on the, uh, on the TV monitors. They kind of kept it a hush-hush. But all around the track, you had spectators that were jumping the guardrails from their seats to get to the catch fence right at the edge of the track, and they climbed the fence with Elio Castro-Neves uh, to celebrate with them. It was such a popular victory for that reason more than anything, uh, that it's a, a well-liked driver. Everybody can kind of... Um, I mean, everybody's gotten a chance to know him. He's been doing this for 20 years. And what was even more impressive is that that was with a part-time ride. He was not a full-time driver last year. Uh, after 20-plus years in IndyCar racing, stepped aside, was just doing a couple races for Meyer Shank, a very, a very relatively new crew and a new team. Um, and the fact that a small team like that can win the biggest race in the world against all these full-time teams, that's another just great reason why this uh, event is so uh, so incredible. So. Uh, more than anything, the, the fan interaction from that historic race last year is uh, is certainly something that I know I personally will not forget, especially watching him drive around in the victory lap and watching everybody go and climb the fence along with him. Oh, there's no question. And this year he'll be starting 27th of the tw 33 yeah. uh, cars in the Sirius XM vehicle. 
Yeah, the, uh, the, the, the Meyer Shank pink, that's what you're going to look for. In fact, pink's kind of become a, uh, a kind of popular car uh, color, it looks like. He and his teammate, uh, Simon Pagino, uh, actually they were former teammates with uh, Roger Penske's organization, and anybody with IndyCar knows uh, how big Roger Penske has been uh, as a car owner and now as the owner of the entire series. But, yeah, those two did not have the greatest qualifying efforts uh, with that Sirius XM uh, Meyer Shank team. So it'll be uh, very interesting to watch as they come from the back of the pack because uh, especially with the uh, the latest updates to the car uh, in terms of the um, you know the aerodynamics yeah. and and and, the, uh, and everything with that uh, since they got the latest package four years ago the lowest that a uh, eventual winner has started was Elio Castroneves last year starting eighth so everything's always been in the front three rows throughout the past four or five years uh, but you've always had a car that has come from deep in the pack to challenge for the lead. Graham Rahal last year was one of them um, who had probably the fastest car, and if not for a miscue in the pits uh, leading to his crash, would have uh, probably uh, been somebody we'd be talking about. Uh, his crash also knocked Connor Daly out of the race. Uh, he was able to keep going, but his car just not nearly as fast as it was. Daly started 19th last year. Uh, he ended up uh, leading the most laps but just couldn't keep up after his car was damaged uh, from a loose tire, he starts 18th again this year. So he's right in that same spot mid-pack as another guy who uh, I think has a great chance to be moving up in the race here this year. And winning the pole position this year, a familiar name, and Scott Dixon. Yep, another veteran for all these years. Uh, his fifth pole position, that's the second best all-time. Also second best all-time is that qualifying speed. Only once ever in the history of the Indianapolis 500 has a four-lap qualifying speed been faster than that. And funny enough, that qualifying uh, attempt, uh, that was back in 1996 with Ari Leyendijk, that qualifying attempt didn't even end up on the pole because the rules back then, you had uh, multiple days of qualifying, and uh, he didn't qualify on the first day. He actually did. He qualified on the pole, but his uh, car was deemed ineligible, so he had to go and re-qualify the next day. The fastest time ever didn't even sit on the pole. So this is officially the fastest pole speed ever at just over 234 miles per hour. Absolutely incredible uh, what speeds those are being run. Uh, and just to put in perspective of not only how fast these cars are running, but how close they are in terms of each other, the 20 fastest qualifying speeds of all time at the Indianapolis 500, 16 of them came from this year's qualifying. So you're talking about the top 16 cars in this year's field are in the top 20 fastest all-time cars is the, the best way to, uh, to try to put this in terms of how fast and how consistent and how equal the playing field is with all these automobiles. And uh, round out row one is Alex Palou and what, Renus VK. Am I saying that properly? Yeah, Palou and VK who battled the um, Palou, who was actually the reigning IndyCar champion and teammate uh, of Scott Dixon. And let's just talk about that. Chip Ganassi racing, uh, absolutely incredible because you got Dixon first, Palou second. Uh, you have Marcus Erickson in the second row starting fifth. Tony Kanon in sixth. Those are all um, Chip Ganassi guys. And then one more who may have the fastest car of them all but had a little bobble in the first lap of qualifying in Jimmy Johnson. We'll talk more about that later because that's a, a very familiar name if you're into racing at all. But five of the top 12 cars all from this same team. Uh, Honda's just been really, really strong, especially with Chip Ganassi. Uh, it's going to take something special for it not to be one of these Chip Ganassi cars to end up in victory lane. And Alex Pelot especially, too, starting second. That's where he finished last year after getting passed uh, with uh, under two laps to go by Elio Gastroneves last year. So I'm watching all of those guys. But uh, uh, Renus VK, I got to mention him real quick because there's another great team 
with Ed Carpenter Racing. VK starting third and the uh, team owner, uh, owner-driver, the only only driver in the field uh, in Ed Carpenter starting right behind him uh, in fourth place. Uh, so those two, I think, are going to be another uh, guy, team to really watch for uh, in terms of the Chevy-powered guys. And you might as well throw in the McLarens uh, there in row three of Pato Award and Felix Rosenblitz. There's a lot of fast drivers and a lot of fast cars. It's going to come down to uh, some strategy calls. It's going to come down to which uh, guys can uh, save the most fuel at the right time and be able to go fast at the right time. It's, uh, there's so much strategy that goes into the modern-day racing at the Indy 500 and so many quality contenders that have a chance to win this race. All right, let's talk about some of the international drivers that usually make their appearance at the Indy 500. Uh, anybody we need to keep an eye on this year? Well, let, let's start with a rookie. Uh, let's start with Roman Grosjean. He's a rookie in terms of the Indy 500. He was a full-time driver in uh, IndyCar last year, but he only did the road circuits. Uh, did not do the ovals until the very last oval of the season. Um, Roman Grosjean, uh, you may recognize that name in Formula One for many years. He was in that fiery, near-fatal crash uh, in Bahrain in Formula One two years ago where his car literally exploded, uh, cut in two, and he, his body and his automobile went through a catch fence and got stuck. He was able to escape a, a burning inferno. Uh, those images... You always are going to associate with uh, Grosjean. He comes to the U.S., immediately becomes a, a big factor in the IndyCar series, and now we're excited to say he's getting used to the ovals. He's starting ninth. I mean, <laughs> again, he's never driven ovals before, and he's already getting these cars up to uh, those kind of speeds. I think that's really impressive. Uh, right behind him, starting in 10th, Takuma Sato, a two-time winner, the only driver from Japan uh, in this year's race. He's uh, racing for Dale Coin Racing, which is the lowest-budget team, but it feels like it's a 500 his cars always seem to be right up there going just as fast as everyone else. And he's always been the master of strategy. So you always want to watch uh, what Dale Coyne can do. And, and another young guy I definitely need to mention, he's going to start way down in the field uh, in Scott McLaughlin in that familiar uh, Pennzoil number three car, the yellow submarine that they call it uh, starting back in the middle of row nine. Uh, but just that row in general, Scott McLaughlin, uh, he's uh, now second in the points uh, behind his teammate, Will Power, who just passed him up. Uh, in the uh, road course race leading up to the 500. But McLaughlin especially has shown great promise. Uh, he led the entire race uh, in the only o other oval we've had this year so far at Texas Motor Speedway, got passed on the last lap uh, by his teammate, uh, Joseph Newgarden, in that one. Uh, but I just like McLaughlin, the, the Kiwi coming out. He's been really strong, and he's gotten better each and every race. But I look at that row nine, Colton Herta, incredible driver, had some bad luck, had some misfortune. He's been just absolutely on fire. His car um, actually was scheduled to start 14th. He tried to make one final qualifying effort to get into the top 12. You needed to be in the top 12 to be able to battle for the pole position on the next day during qualifying. They took the gamble and dropped down uh, from like 13th or 14th all the way down to the inside of row nine, so starting in 25th. So uh, McLaughlin, a similar scenario. That's why they're so far back in the field. Herga, McLaughlin, Castro Neves, all three of them, an American, a Kiwi, and a Brazilian, starting from row nine. I'm watching those guys to possibly move straight up through the field, probably working together to get from the back to the front. All right, let's talk about one of my favorite drivers over the years when he uh, was here in IndyCar racing and then went to NASCAR and then back in Juan Pablo Montoya. Oh, my goodness. Montoya is throwing a, a skit in the 
Formula One there as well. What uh, what fun it was uh, seeing him win uh, some championships uh, in the international, uh, the world championships as well. But yeah, JPM, he's going to be starting back in row 10, but he's always a guy to be watching for because his uh, he won back in 2001, his uh, rookie year, I'm sorry, in 2000 in his rookie year, and then went off to Formula One to NASCAR, comes back to IndyCar, his uh, second Indy 500 win in 2015. Kind of a, a similar scenario. There was an early yellow. He got sent to the back of the field. He was back in 30th place. He battles all the way back to the front and wins the Indy 500. He starts this year in 30th place. There's nothing that's going to keep him uh, from potentially working his way through the field. Just a master of every track uh, where he's been on uh, throughout his entire career. So, yeah, definitely keep an eye on him as well as those guys uh, in the row in front of him. Again, I think you're going to see them kind of weaving their way through, picking and poking to get from the back to the front. There's no question about that. And one name that we have to mention if you're talking about Indy 500 is Andretti and Marco Andretti in row eight at number 23. Yeah, he hasn't been too pleased with his car, uh, regrettably, starting back there in 98 car um, down there uh, in the middle of row eight. But, again, it's a car that he felt better in the race trim and just wasn't getting the speed and qualifying. Um, in all honesty, it's no one the other way around in terms of his career. He's always had a really fast uh, car during qualifying, but struggled in the, in the race setup. So, hey, maybe this could finally be the year. Uh, you're always watching for that Andretti name, but he's also been out of uh, IndyCar racing. This is the only race he will run this year uh, in IndyCar. So, um, you know, obviously that experience sometimes doesn't work. But again, you look at what happened with Elio Castroneves last year. He wasn't a full-time driver. But he gets on the right team. They gel at the right time. And the right things happen to get the guys to the front. There's no question. And speaking of uh, having an opportunity maybe get to the front and make history, you mentioned him earlier, uh, the former NASCAR champion, seven-time champion, Jimmy Johnson, made the switch over to open wheels racing last year. And this is, what, his first attempt at Indy, correct? Yes, that is correct. So when he... Uh, when he started his racing uh, career, his goal was always IndyCar, the Indy 500. He had fallen in love with open wheel racing uh, as a young kid. But just as a, as he came up through the ranks, it ended up being that he was um, not even just that he was more suited for NASCAR racing, just that that's where the opportunities first opened up for him, and he stuck with it. And uh, the fact of the matter is, this guy has more 500-mile races under his belt from his time at NASCAR than the rest of the field combined. If you take all 32 other drivers out of all the 500-mile races they've had in their career, you still would not have nearly as many as what Jimmy Johnson has during from uh, his NASCAR career. This will be his first 500-miler uh, in the open-wheel car. He definitely has struggled on the road and street courses. Well, again, you're basically turning left and left only throughout your entire uh, NASCAR career. Everything's so different about you know brake points, getting the brake bias right, all the adjustments you can make in, a, in an Indy car to improve your uh, vehicle versus what you can't do really anything in that regard uh, on a NASCAR. So relearning all that, he's improved dramatically even just from last year to this year. But his first oval test came at Texas Motor Speedway uh, earlier this year. People wondered how he would do. His qualifying effort, not that great, but he works his way through the course of the field. He's passing cars and, and uh, on a track where a lot couldn't make those uh, passes, couldn't execute them. He's able to find a way, and he ends up finishing, I think it was sixth in that race, kept working his way up to the front. And uh, if it had been a 500-miler, he may have gotten all the way up uh, to the front in that race. Now he shows a lot of promise. I, I mentioned earlier he was insanely fast in his qualifying effort uh, when he got to the uh, the Fast 12 shootout 
He had a big wiggle at the end of turn one of his first lap and uh, really just ruined uh, the entire run in terms of his speed. But he was able to uh, hang on to it, fight it off, and still nearly make a couple extra positions in terms of that qualifying order uh, in the end. He's shown good race pace as well. He was near the top of the charts in just about every single practice session. So he knows how to race for a 500-mile event. He knows what it takes, and he's really adapting uh, to this oval uh, car. Uh, I'm not going to say with ease because nothing is very easy. When you hear him talking about the difference of going 243 miles into turn one uh, at Indianapolis versus maybe 190 if you were in a NASCAR, he said it's like there's no time to even think. It's all reactionary, and it's just all a blur. He, he described it like the Millennium Falcon uh, in Star Wars when it goes to light speed. Everything just kind of is a, a blur streaking right by you as you go by. But he's uh, adapted very well as a uh, as a newcomer, one of the oldest rookies you will ever see in Indy 500 history, probably in the upper 40s. But somebody who has, again, more experience with these kind of races than anyone else. It'll be his first time in an open cockpit, but man, he is uh, he's ready for the challenge. And certainly somebody, he won't be the... Um, he won't be the uh, odds-on favorite when you look at all the, the betting lines, but he is somebody who is for sure going to be uh, something to keep an eye on. I did want to mention what those betting line favorites are. Naturally, uh, Dixon and Pelot starting first and second, uh, we're going to be near the top, as is Venus VK. But the one that uh, I mentioned briefly that needs to be mentioned again, Pottero Ward, finished fourth last year. He starts seventh this year. Another guy who has been consistently fast near the top uh, of the uh, every single practice session. And he's just a guy who has been consistently good right up there in each and every Oval event over the last two years. If I had to pick one guy um, that I'm going to say could win this, Potter Award is probably the guy who I'm going to be picking first. That's a great choice. Hey, James, when you look at this in generally speaking terms, I looked at Jimmy Johnson, and I know they're two different vehicles, two different animals of, of racing in NASCAR and open wheel. However, um, you mentioned what he did in Texas. I'm not surprised that he did well because that's a track he's been on before. Yes, it's different mechanics. Yes, it's different type of feel. But he's familiar with the settings and what necessarily how that track may run. In, in theory, yes. But um, even with the, the tracking the exact same and, uh, and all that, when you're in a, a car that has such a different amount of horsepower, a different amount of weight in the vehicle to begin with. And obviously then with all that, a very uh, big delta in terms of the speed, even your points of entry into a corner or where you hit the apex of a corner uh, is a complete 180. So knowing the track is one thing, but you have to almost relearn a track. Uh, And he's even said sometimes it's uh, almost been better to be, to have been on a, a track that he's never been to before uh, than one he remembers as a NASCAR driver. And JPM said the same thing uh, from his days, going from IndyCar, NASCAR, and back, because it just drives so differently from one vehicle to the next. So uh, definitely having the, the Brickyard 400 experience will help just in terms of the, uh, the settings and kind of knowing some of the sight lines, but you need to almost relearn what those sight lines are in terms of which one to go for uh, when you enter a corner, when you exit the corner. Uh, that, that's kind of, I think, been one of the things I've, been most impressed with with some of these drivers that have done all the different disciplines of racing sometimes doing two disciplines in the same weekend uh, on the same track because it's the same track it should be the same but anybody who's driven can tell you everything's completely different even 10 miles an hour difference can change your entire sight line in terms of how you are entering or exiting a quarter 
All right, you mentioned Patio Award as a potential winner. Let's hear uh, some of your others that you really like coming into uh, this weekend's race. Well, I mean, I, I can't go without mentioning Will Power because, I mean, he, he's been strong this entire year. He has never finished below fourth place in any race so far this year. Now, the 500 is obviously a completely different beast uh, each and every year, but he's got a, a win just four or five years ago under his belt. Uh, here at Indianapolis. So uh, just with the strong start to the season that he's had, uh, he's definitely somebody I think has to be worth a mention. Uh, Marcus Erickson's been consistently near the front, uh, only a couple of wins in his short time in IndyCar, uh, but he's just been a consistent, strong player uh, each and every time out there as well. If you're looking for a couple of long shots, I uh, mentioned Graham Rahal back in row seven. Alexander Rossi right next to him has had a couple of great runs. He's had a lot of bad luck in the last two or three years. Uh, this may be his last hurrah with uh, Andretti Autosport Racing. Um, I, I think that he's somebody who really uh, always seems to find the best that he can be while at Indianapolis. He was battling at the front last year uh, when he and Scott Dixon had a uh, unfortunate incident of they ran out of fuel under caution. So they ended up having to go into the pits under a dead stick and uh, stall the car couldn't get back uh, on the lead lap throughout the course of the rest of the race. It's unfortunate because those two probably could have been battling for the lead at the end just as much as Elio and Polo were. So uh, I think those are names for sure uh, to be adding to the list of those to watch in the back. But it truly is with how even these cars are. I would say anybody in the top nine rows has a legit chance to make a run uh, no matter where they begin. Because, again, if you save fuel at the right time, get a caution at the right time, you can go straight from the back to the front like Connor Daly did last year. He was 19th. He was stuck about 15th, had a well-timed pit stop, then was driving so fast after that when he was up in the front in the lead uh, that he was able to pull away for, from some guys. So I think anybody, when they get their chance out front, can stay out front. It's just a matter of finding the right strategy and making the, the right passes in that process uh, to get yourself in position to have that chance at the end because anybody who's in that top three or four in the end will have a chance those fifth and further back, probably not. But it's about using that strategy and uh, working your way towards the front. Each and any one of these drivers, I think, definitely has a, a strong chance to be able to do that. All right, real quick, I'll give you my three that I'm going to keep an eye on and rooting for, and uh, not a surprise here. I love Ed Carpenter and that storyline, so you got to got to root for him uh, owning his own vehicle and uh, – already going to be starting uh, fourth in uh, row number two. Obviously, I mentioned JPM, as I'm a, a big fan of his over the seasons or over the years. And why not? Let's let's go for the the maybe the best storyline of all time in Jimmy Johnson, who may be able to uh, add a historic victory to his unbelievable race career as he changes uh, uh, as a rookie chases the Indy 500. At what is he about thirty six? Oh, he's in his upper forties. He's, he's, right, he's over forty now. Yeah, I yeah. mean, amazing. Yeah, exactly. I, I like any one of those, um, and they would all be historic. Jimmy Johnson would be uh, obviously historic of, of winning uh, all those championships in NASCAR. I believe a Brickyard winner, and then winning the Indy five hundred. That's never uh, occurred. Juan Pablo Montoya would be the lowest starter ever to win the Indy five hundred, starting in thirtieth. And Ed Carpenter. Uh, besides the fact he is a driver owner, we haven't had that as a winner uh, since Cheever in 98. But I think also just the fact he's somebody who has literally lived at that speedway almost his entire life. He's a Butler Bulldog uh, graduate from just you know right up the road there in Indianapolis. 
uh, a fan favorite. He and Connor Daly on the same team, both Indianapolis boys. Uh, those are the two fan favorites in terms of the local product. But the only one that I think would be more significant than that would be the high five. It is the drive for five. Get Cinco for Elio uh, would be the first ever to win this great race a fifth time. Well, yeah, there's no bigger storyline in the world than that uh, coming into this race, if he can pull that off. James, thank you again for uh, coming on the podcast once again to talk Indy 500 with us. Uh, You have a safe trip. Enjoy the atmosphere and the event, and I can't wait to talk to you uh, after it's all said and done. Oh, for sure, will do. Make sure everybody tunes in uh, on NBC, on, uh, on the radio, uh, by the way, the uh, Indy 500 radio broadcast last year was the number one ranked radio broadcast period in the world last year. And that was uh, voted on uh, over the course of the year. So you have plenty of ways to watch, to listen, to enjoy, because they are expecting possibly the largest crowd there in over 30 years. This sport just keeps on growing. We hope you guys can come and, uh, and join us in the fun because it is an absolute blast, one that you will not want to miss. All right, that's James Dotson. I want to thank James again for coming on the podcast. It has been a great conversation talking about the Indy 500. Uh, A lot of great names and great history at the 500. And uh, if you get a chance to tune it in, it will be a great race. And, of course, uh, don't forget, uh, later today, uh, Westside Bowl for the coverage of the UEFA Champions League Finals as Liverpool takes on Real Madrid. Looking forward to that. Looking forward to seeing everybody at the Rust Belt Reds and uh, wishing you all a wonderful, good Memorial Day weekend. I know many people are trying to get together for the first time in years, so I, I wish you safe travels and safe opportunities to be with each other. So until the next week we talk, and Anthony and I talk more about the Guardians baseball season, and we'll recap the UEFA Championship League finals between Liverpool and Real Madrid. All right, until the next time we speak, remember to tell your family, friends, and enemies about Radio MVP.